Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. From the recent Boise Reformation Conference, here's Dr. Cornelis Venema speaking on the return of Christ. He comes, yes, to judge the living and the dead, but he does come to bring us to the telos or the end of what he has promised to accomplish for our salvation. If I may go back to that passage in Philippians 3.20, when he comes from heaven, our citizenship with him is in heaven to the earth. He comes so that our bodies, bodies, as Paul puts it, of our humiliation, will be conformed to his glorified body. He comes to finish Theologians call that not simply our sanctification in this life to the extent that it is worked by His Spirit, but our glorification, perfection. When in the visions of Revelation, well known to you, we're told that there will be no more occasion among the people of God and in God's renewed, sanctified new heavens and earth wherein righteousness dwells, for anyone to shed a tear or to weep or lament either their own sins or the remaining sins of God's people when they will be sanctified through and through. And though it's impossible for us to imagine what it will be like when we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. Christ will take to Himself at His revelation those who believe and be glorified in them as they bear now a perfect conformity after His image having been brought from glory to glory when this shabby dissolving, soon-to-be-destroyed, tattered tent of a body is replaced with an honorable, a handsome, a glorious, a beautiful, a dazzling, incorruptible, immortal, holy temple suitable for the Spirit's dwelling. And the whole people of God, the bride of Christ, will be that unblemished, spotless, radiant, glorious, new humanity, bearing the fullness of the glorified and perfected image of God for which humankind was first appointed before the fall. By the way, Herman Vavik makes a very important point. The image of God in man is not restored until the fullness of the whole of the elect humanity 
the new humanity that belongs to Christ, that is his bride, has been brought to a place of splendor. That will happen. The end of your afflictions, trials, difficulties... For those who remain as the Thessalonians remain steadfast, Paul holds out to them that at Christ's coming, I haven't even mentioned this yet, verse 7 is the key, he will grant rest. What's the big promise God gives to his people throughout the Old and New Testament economies? Rest in the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land sanctified cleansed, a land of perfect shalom, of exact justice, of men and women who both love God under the first table and love their fellow brothers and sisters under the second as they should, and bear no longer any marks, traces, or remainders of the curse and its consequence in the way of God's judgment upon sinful men. Relief. What do Christ's people long for? What do you long for? What do you eagerly anticipate? For what do you pray? You pray the Lord's Prayer, as I intimated earlier, that God's great name would be hallowed, that His kingdom would come, that upon the earth His will would be done even as it is in heaven. Then... You should be fervent in prayer, steadfast to the end. Come, Lord Jesus. Yes. Come as quickly as as is appropriate within the Father's time. There's one other thing here. And it brings us back to something I was accenting, emphasizing this powerful image of Christ coming as a revelation Did you see, next to being glorified in his saints, the phrase, to be marveled at among all who have believed. That word marvel, it's suggestive, it's like a little child who for the first time goes into, I guess they're out of business, Toys R Us. (laughs) Particularly if they may come from a place never heard of such a thing, dreamt that such a thing could ever exist. Wide-eyed amazement, scurrying about to see, to explore, to be astonished. So it will be for the people of God when Christ comes, like little children who knew it was the last hour. He's come. And you have to admit, there have been more than a few seasons in your life, maybe right now, the anticipation of His coming is rather dim. It's often forgotten, thought to be a piece of so-called, what an irreverent phrase, pie in the sky in the by and by. You believe that still in this year of our Lord 2000? Yes, I do. I do believe. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? But back to that word marvel again. My wife would tell you that when we go on holidays, or I guess you call them vacations. They call them holidays in Canada and in England. But anyway, 
I don't read any books of theology. I read a novel or something like that. And on one of our vacations, I had the opportunity to read an interesting book, Escape from Corregidor, by a former governor of all things of the state of Indiana where I live. And in that book, he tells this fascinating story of how during World War II in the South Pacific, he was taken captive by the imperial forces of Japan. And through a harrowing set of circumstances for a long time, close to two years plus, the only thing known about him by his parents back home on the farm in Indiana was, your son is presumed not only missing in action, but dead. And through a whole long complicated story, long story short, you don't want the long form, he finally gets back to these United States, Washington, D.C., and for the first time is given permission. This is pre-cell phone, no internet, no quick means of communication, uh, everything by letter or telegraph or whatever. He has permission to call his parents and to tell them he's been given leave to come see them. They don't even know he's alive. He says he calls rings them up, and mom answers the phone. And she cannot believe her ears. Hello, it's your son. I have a plane, a train ticket, not a plane ticket, a train ticket. I will be arriving at the station a few miles from our hometown as of tomorrow afternoon. And she hangs up, but she's suffering an admixture, as God's people often do, of faith and unbelief. She disbelieves, as the apostles did, at the resurrection for fear. Can it be true? But she says to her husband, let's get over there. Early in the morning the next day, hours before the train is to arrive, there they are. And he tells this story. It's an amazing story. What do you think his parents experienced when he stepped off the train? You don't think they were wide-eyed? Hearts overwhelming with wonder and amazement? Can it be true? Well, why do I tell that story? Paul says, you Thessalonians, when our Lord Jesus Christ comes, when he is revealed with the angels of his fire, a power in flaming fire from heaven, and he executes judgment according to righteousness, and you are glorified in full conformity to him, it will be a day of wonder. Day of judgment, day of wonder. For all of God's people, a reunion like none ever experienced in this life with the bridegroom. The one whom Peter the Apostle elsewhere says, whom we've believed in, though not having seen him. Now, there are many other things that I could say about the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ, the return of Christ, but it seems to me that among all the passages in the New Testament and in the Word of God, 
that give us eloquent testimony to its reality. We find it here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I don't know about you, I know about myself, a person of little faith, of great, oftentimes, unbelief. It's the sort of thing to which we need to come again and again and remind each other of this as we make our way through life. That in this life, we will enter the kingdom only through, in conformity to Christ and as members of Christ, much affliction. Only so does the kingdom come. But the day does come, will dawn, when our Savior in whom we've believed, whom we've loved and served, will come to us, will be revealed, and will grant to us, you talk about rewards, the full reward of entrance into his consummate kingdom in all of its splendor and wonder. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge that sometimes our eyes do grow dim, the eyes of faith, and we're even sometimes as well unforgetful of the promise that is ours in Christ Jesus, that even as we are joined with him, seated with him in heaven, the day will come when he returns from heaven and comes in power and in justice, in grace and mercy, to fill out and finish all that you've begun, in the lives of your people, in the church, to present the church to himself as a spotless, unblemished, radiant bride, and to dwell in our midst and we in his presence forevermore, to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among all those who were steadfast, earnest, believing to the end, marveled at by all those who have believed. May we be among them. May we see And may we, with all of your saints, rejoice and marvel that he has returned. May we live in a way that represents a confident expectation, an eager anticipation of his coming. Not discouraged, even though afflicted, always with heads and eyes uplifted, looking, waiting, anticipating his coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.